0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Hill Church Podcast. So we have been talking recently about what it means to be the church. Uh, we're in a transition as Hill Church, and um, that has presented some unique challenges, but also some very good things. We've been growing really, as I think, as a family. And uh, so we're kind of refocusing now on what exactly is the church, and then given who we are as the church— uh, what should we be doing? Because we, we naturally live out who we believe that we are. We do that individually. But we also do that collectively. So as we gather together as Christ's church, um, what's our understanding of what the church even is? So I mentioned, for example, uh, my wife's family. They uh, they like the Packers. And um that's a shame, I realize, but uh, they like the Packers, and so they have this identity to some degree as of Packer fans, and so what do they do? They watch Packer games. They wear Packer clothing. They cheer when the Packers do well. I mean, crazy things, but they're living out who they see themselves as, right, as Packer fans. So in in the same way, as a church, how we see ourselves is going to determine how we act, and so I referred to this study done by the Pew Research Center. It was about 5000 different Americans that they they did this uh, survey and they they asked the question like why do they why do you go to church for those that go to church and 81% said to become closer to God 69% said so their children will have a moral foundation 68% said to become a better person some people said for comfort in times of trouble they find the sermons valuable uh, others said to continue their family traditions or to meet new po- people or socialize or just to please their family member or spouse or partner. Uh, reasons why people don't go for those that don't go to church is they, they practice their faith in other ways. Uh, we've heard that probably many times before. you know you don't have to, you don't have to go to church to know God or whatnot. Um, they haven't found a house of worship they like or they don't like the sermons. So now those responses, indicate that there's a certain understanding of what church is. And some of them are good responses, and I think they all have their validity. But there's definitely an understanding of what the church is, even within some of these responses. And so I pointed out a couple dangers, and here's one danger that we have as believers, and that is consumerism. We see ourselves largely in this culture as consumers. We go to the grocery store because we consume food. We go to and buy new clothing and shoes and go shopping, and we consume uh, those goods. And so we go to church to consume spiritual goods. And if we approach church in that with that perspective, then we're going to go there looking to get something, to get inspired, to get a good worship experience or what have you. And that's really a danger because this is not Christ's idea of what the church is or what the Church is for. So what exactly is the Church? Well, first of all, to appreciate what it means to be a part of the Church, we have to recognize that you and I really have no right or business um, being a part of anything that, that, that has to do with, with God. Uh, because, you know, Scripture tells us that, uh, that once we were, it says in Romans 5, once we were enemies of, of God. And it says that in, in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were aliens and strangers from God's people. We were estranged from God. Uh, because of our sin and how we've offended God, uh, we, we deserve nothing to do with God whatsoever. And the only reason we get to be a part of anything having to do with the Lord is because of his grace and his mercy towards us and the forgiveness that he paid for with the death of of his son, Jesus. So let's just lay that out there at the beginning. Like To be a part of God's church, his gathering, his people, is a total privilege. It's not something that we deserve. So let's just lay that as a foundation. Now let's look at, what does it mean to be a part of the church? And I just can't talk personally about the church and what it means to be a part of the church or what the church is without talking about the Trinity. Because the Trinity is directly related to the church, or defining what the church is. So in the Trinity, we have one God, but yet there's three different persons. There's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, these three make up a community. They're persons. They relate to one another. They serve one another. They love one another. They communicate with one another. They create together, and they're a family, which is amazing because you have things like love that exist just within God himself. So it says in, in Revelation 4, 8, that there's, these, there's this heavenly scene, and there's these creatures, and they're crying out to God, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Uh, and that's one characteristic of God's community of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that's holiness. They are perfectly holy. So they always do right by one another. They're never sarcastic with one another. They're never cutting one another down or gossiping about the other one or or whatnot. They always are doing what is perfectly right because they live in a community of perfect holiness. Can you imagine that? I mean, we spend so much of our lives... Talking about sin and the effects of sin on our lives, any kind of problem that you have, or you know, some relationship you're struggling with or struggling to make ends meet financially or whatever, we're always trying to fix problems that are a result of sin. Our sin, other people's sins, the sinful world that we live in. Can you imagine living in a community where there's no sin whatsoever at all? Like, what do you even talk about? (laughs) That's God's community. It's holy. Also, it's characterized by perfect love. John said, Uh, Not John. Jesus said in John 15, 10, he said uh, that uh, he abides in the Father's love. And so this love that they share, it's different than a human love. It's sacrificial and it's unconditional. Jesus is always laying his life down for the Father and the Holy Spirit, putting them first. The Holy Spirit is putting first the Father and the Son, and the Father is doing the same with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. They are constantly loving each other sacrificially, putting the others first, and unconditionally and so that kind of love is not something that we are accustomed to either we typically love each other when the other person has something to offer us <clears throat> maybe we share something in common like we're in the same phase of life or we like the same tv show or whatever we talk about our work you know the people that we work with but we share something in common there's something the other person offers us or uh it's a conditional love uh, as long as it's convenient, we'll hang out and spend time together. Uh, as as long as you know you're not burdening me with a bunch of problems, you know those kinds of things. So we have this conditional kind of love, but that's not the love of God. His is totally unconditional. It's perfect love. They also are characterized by perfect unity. Uh, Jesus said, "I and my Father are one." And if you think about it, if you have perfect holiness in a group of persons right and perfect love then the natural fruit of that is going to be perfect unity and so we see that in the trinity now here's the amazing thing is as we look through scripture we find that god he wants us to be in on his community isn't that an amazing thought like he has this perfect community with perfect love perfect holiness perfect unity and he wants us to join that So we see it with Adam and Eve, for example. God creates Adam, he creates Eve, and it says in Genesis 3, 8 that he was walking with them in the garden. Like, they were experiencing God. They're taking walks together. They're experiencing community fellowship with God in a perfect world at that time. That's how God designed our relationship to be with him, but of course we know Adam and Eve. They they reject God. They sin. They have kids who also reject God and sin, and the whole human race is formed rebe- in rebellion against God, distorting holiness, deciding what is right for wrong for them, right and wrong for themselves, distorting love, loving only when it's convenient or conditional, and then full of disunity. And you can see that all throughout the scriptures. But God, in His passion for us to dwell with Him in total holiness and in perfect love and unity, pursues us. And so he raises up Abraham and creates a nation from Abraham just is called Israel. And when they're in the wilderness, he has them set up all these tents. And then he says, "All right, set one up for me." And he has them build something called a tabernacle, it's a tent. And it was in the center of the people of Israel and all of their tents. And there he he sets up this this tent that has um it has several rooms. There's one room where there's furniture, like there's a a table with bread on it and there's a lampstand and there's some incense. And then there's an inner room called the holy of holies and that's where God's presence literally would be. And that's like God's room. And it's amazing. He wanted to dwell amongst his people, but there's a problem. He's holy and they are not. He has perfect love and they don't. So God has provisions for these things. He sets up outside of his tabernacle, altar, an altar with priests to perform sacrifices so the people could come and approach a holy God. But first they do these sacrifices that would, that would pay for their sin and provide some atonement for their sin so that they can approach a holy God. That's his provision for, for his people to be able to be close with him, for him to dwell amongst his people with holiness to some degree. But then also he gives them his commands. And it says in Deuteronomy that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and and strength in Deuteronomy 6. And so uh, God, he gives these commands so that they may learn how to live and how to live in a way that is like he lives uh, with perfect love. And each command that he gives the people of Israel protects them from something protects them from sin. If they obey, then they won't fall into sin and and they will learn to love each other well like he loves so that their days may be prolonged and it may go well with them, it says in Deuteronomy 6. So we see that God... He desires to dwell amongst his people for us to be in on his community and gives these provisions so that we can be a part of his community or Israel could at that time in holiness and, and growing in his love with his commands. So we find that as time goes on, they go into the land and eventually uh, he has them build a temple, a permanent structure that was like the tabernacle. And it was to where he could dwell with his people. And during the days of King Solomon of Israel, he dwelt he came in his presence, dwelled inside that temple. And we find that first temple was built. And that temple period is about twelve hundred to five eighty six BC. You can read about that in First Kings chapter eight. But Israel eventually they walk away from God, they worship false gods, and God allows that temple to be destroyed. As an act of discipline for Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes in and literally decimates that temple and carries Israel captive for 70 years. But then God has them come back to, to Jerusalem and has them build another temple. And so we look in in Zechariah chapter 8, we see God's heart, and he says, you know, once again in Jerusalem, I will dwell with my people. And the children will run in the streets and laugh and play, and old men will delight in them, and all these things. And you can just catch God's heart there to dwell with his people once again. So he has this another temple built. And so we have the second temple period, it goes from about 586 B.C., Uh, from when that first one was destroyed until about 70 AD, actually. In 70 AD, that second temple was destroyed. But we find that even during that time, God sent many prophets, and Israel goes wayward again. Israel kills all those prophets, and God's silent for about 400 years until he does something else that is absolutely amazing and magnificent to where he would come to dwell amongst his people, and that is he he comes in the form of a baby, God in the flesh is born. Jesus it says in John 1 1 that the word uh, which was with God and was God, and says in verse 14 that he. Um, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So God now dwells amongst His people in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, He presents Himself as the Messiah to Israel, but He's rejected. And then He says to Peter in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 18, He says, You know what, Peter? I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. And so we see Jesus. He starts this thing called the church. It's his the gathering of his people. And first he prays in John seventeen verse twenty through twenty six. He prays that, that his people would be united as he and the Father are united. He cries out to the Father. He says, "Oh righteous Father." And so you see that element of holiness between between the Father and the Son and Jesus in that passage. He invites in his prayer invites those that would believe on him into their community. He says, "Oh Father, I pray." that they would be with me where I am and that they would be one as you and I are one and that they would know the love that you have given me and they would experience that same love, those same elements of holiness and perfect love and unity he prays for, for this thing called the church. Then he goes to the cross and he pays the price for sin for the entire world, opening up the door for people to get free forgiveness when they repent and trust in what he did so that then they could be given a gift of righteousness or holiness. Anybody who believes in Jesus, you've, you've received a gift of righteousness or holiness that Jesus has given to you when you believed. It's his righteousness given to you as a gift. And so God considers you to be holy. And of course, we don't act holy all the time, but God says that he's given us that as a gift so we can be a part of his community, which is holy. And of course, when he died on the cross, he expressed his deep, unconditional, sacrificial love for us. Uh, by dying for us and paying for our sin on our behalf, um, in full. And so that love, when it gets into our hearts, it changes us from the inside out. And we begin to love God back, and we begin to love one another. And so we grow in the love of Christ because of what He has done for us. And that enables us to learn how to function as community. And that love causes us to do things like when we have conflicts with people, we forgive we confess our faults to one another and seek reconciliation, and so we grow in unity as well. And Jesus, he rises from the dead, and he ascends to the Father, sends the Holy Spirit, and anybody who believes in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to actually dwell inside them, God says. And it says in Ephesians two nineteen through 22, a few amazing things about those that are believers of Jesus. It says that the Holy Spirit actually dwells inside of us, and so we are God's temple. It says that we are his saints. A saint is a holy one, one that's been given the righteousness of Christ as a gift. It says also that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so the word of God is the foundation of the church and the gospel. And Jesus is the cornerstone, the most important part, the thing that binds us all together. It says that we are being fitted together and built together as a, as a holy temple, and so there's unity. It says also that we are the household of God, which means that we are God's family. In First Timothy 3.15, it says that we are the household of God, uh, pillar and foundation of the truth. This is who we are. This is what it means to be the church. Church literally means gathering. It's a gathering of God's people. It's not just Sunday morning. It's whenever the church gathers together, whenever believers in Christ, followers of Christ gather together, God says, listen, you're in on my community. I've given you my holiness when you trusted in my son. I've given you my love when you trusted in my Son, and you can be unified as you follow, uh, as you follow my Word. He says you are my temple. The believers individually, when they come together, are God's temple and are God's family. Is that what you typically think of when you think of the church? When you go to a church gathering on Sunday or a missional community or small group or whatever, is that what you're thinking of? That that gathering actually is the church. That's what God says it is. Is that not amazing? I hope you're blessed by that. I hope you feel like you're in a great place of privilege and blessing, a great place of grace, um, being a part of God's church, his gathering of people, his family, his household, his temple. Be blessed with that. Have a great week, guys.